Our Bible reading this morning is from Mark chapter 10, verse 35 to 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, good morning. For those who don't know me, I'm Lionel, and part of this congregation, Joe and I usually attend the first service on Sunday mornings. This is the very last in a series of sermons on the theme of beyond routine. We've been reminded that in many things in life we can operate on automatic, whether it's cleaning our teeth, as Steve said last week, or whether it's driving a car, participating in worship, praying, whatever it might be, we can do it on automatic. But in following Jesus, we want to go beyond routine. Jesus once quoted the prophets, the words of God, to the people of his day, and he said, these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They'd got caught up in routine. They went through the motions, they ticked the boxes, but it missed the whole point. We want to go beyond that. Today, we want to look at our service to God and our service to others. And our focus verse, serve one another in love. So let's look at Jesus' teaching and his practice to help lift us above the routine in our service. I want to look at the principles then that Jesus taught by his life and by his practice, by his practice and his teaching. And the first of these is that service to others, he said, leads to greatness. Now, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It's the mere servant, we don't think of them as being the great ones, but that's what Jesus said and that's what he practised. This was the wonderful example that Jesus set for us. In the reading we've just had, two of Jesus' disciples, who were brothers, James and John, came to Jesus and asked for a favour. They actually had their mother with them. It's not in that gospel, but another gospel records their mother was there too. She was the one driving this. She was a helicopter mother. Maybe the first one. And she wanted the best for her sons. She wanted them to get on in life. And so she's driving them to come to Jesus and ask this favour. And their favour was this. When you finally become king, and when you sit on your throne, can we have the throne on either side of yours? And there was a clear no to that request. And for two reasons. The first reason that Jesus said was that Well, he didn't have the right to grant that. 
that right could only belong to the father. Only the father could say who was going to sit where when he came into his kingdom. But the other thing that Jesus said, which is so important for us today, is that greatness is not to be found in high position. Instead, he said these words, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here it is. This is what Jesus said and practised himself. Greatness is to be found in serving others. I heard a wonderful story just recently. A lady in this church told Joe, who told me, so it means I've got it second hand. I haven't gone back to the source and checked to make sure my details are right, but the gist of it is there. Let me see if I can tell you. I have authority to tell this story. I've been given permission to tell it. But I'll call this lady Our Lady. It doesn't mean her name is Mary, but I'll call her Our Lady. Our Lady has a job in Liverpool. It involves shift work. And so often she finishes late at night. She travels by car. She's got a car and travels there by car. And that's good because public transport would be okay during the daytime, but the streets around her workplace are not very safe late at night. So the car is important to her. But on one occasion, recently, this car broke down, totally gave up, I do believe, and she had to buy a new car. And so it meant that for a whole week, our lady was without transport. It wasn't a problem getting to work. She could do that during the daytime. But coming home late at night, that was a problem. And so somebody else in this congregation said, I'll come and pick you up. 10 o'clock at night, I'll come and get you from work at Liverpool and bring you home. What a wonderful gift. Now, our lady had a colleague Creaky colleague is the name we would give to this one. <laughs> she wasn't the easiest to get on with. And she found it hard to believe that somebody would come over and pick our lady up, pick anyone up. No one would do that for somebody else, is what she said. And the answer was, well, my friend is doing that for me. And later she commented, you know, I think she was watching very closely to make sure that somebody did actually come and pick me up just to confirm my story. And of course she was picked up every night that week. Someone drove all that way over, picked her up and brought her home. Isn't that a lovely example of service? But you know, the story's not finished yet because the next week this cranky colleague also lost her car and didn't have transport to get home. And so our lady said, no problem, I'll give you a ride home. It's close to my route anyway. There's service. This is what Jesus is talking about, that greatness lies in service. That's what it said in this passage. Jesus came to serve. He always had time for people. And I remember one occasion where it says Jesus and his disciples didn't even have time to eat. They were so busy ministering to people. He welcomed all sorts of people, the good and the bad didn't make any difference to him. In fact, he was deeply criticised for the people that he associated with. But that was Jesus serving. But more than that, more than just the way that he did so much for people during his 
three years of ministry, it says in that passage there, he came to give his life as a ransom for us, to buy us back. Sin had captured us and we were imprisoned by sin. But in his death for us, Jesus rescued us. He set us free from that sin. And that's so powerful, isn't it? As we've already been reminded this morning, which father would willingly give up their child? But God the Father willingly gave his child. Jesus himself willingly gave himself up so that I could be restored into a relationship with God, so that you could be restored, so that your neighbour, even cranky colleague, could be restored in their relationship to God. Now that's service. Now I happen to be reading through Matthew at the moment and I came up across a passage recently with two things in it that really struck me hard. It was the story of Jesus' arrest. The night he had had the Passover celebration with his disciples. He'd gone out into the garden and, and prayed there and we'll come back and talk about that in a second. And then after that, his own disciple, Judas, led the authorities to him so they could arrest him. Now, they've come to arrest Jesus. And what happened? Now, let's remember, Jesus has just been praying in the garden. And at this time, his heart was filled with horror and anguish at what lay ahead. It was a terrible way to die. But it was much more than that, because Jesus was going to take upon himself the sin of the whole world, my sin, your sin, the sin of every person who's ever lived. He's going to take that sin upon himself there on the cross so that God, in looking when we stand before him and he brings out the account of the things that we've done, he will be able to say, oh, I see this this account's been paid. Jesus paid for it there on the cross so that we can stand in righteousness before God Amazing, isn't it? But he was going to lose that relationship with God. The father was going to turn his back on him. And that filled him with horror. So there's this terrible moment that Jesus had. Now they've come to arrest him. And you know what happened? One of the disciples, and he was kindly left unidentified, whipped out his sword and chopped off the ear of one of the servants. Don't ask me how he did it. It must have been, what did he do? Just close his eyes and go... But you would have thought, if he did this, he would have, the sword would have gone further and he would have had more damage. Maybe the, the servant tipped his head and just managed to get his ear off. Who knows? But whatever it was, this servant lost his ear. Now, what did Jesus do? He rebuked his disciple. And then it says he reached out and touched this man's ear and healed him. Here in Jesus' moment of extremity, the worst moment of his life here on earth, when he's filled with horror and anguish just a few moments before, he still takes time to bring healing to the member of this group that had come out to arrest him. But that wasn't all. He rebuked his disciple. He said, put the sword away. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And he said, but apart from that, don't you know that I could call upon my father, and he would give me 12 legions of angels. He'd put them at my disposal, 12 legions. Do you know how many soldiers there were in a Roman legion? 5,000. So he said the father would put more than 60,000 angels at my disposal. 
instead of 12 legions, I think 12 would be more than adequate for Jesus to handle his situation there. But all of those angels. What struck me was that Jesus had an escape hatch, but he didn't take it. He didn't take it because, on the one hand, this was the Father's will. This is what the Father desired, that he should take upon himself, that the Son should take upon himself all of our sins to bring us back to God. And so he went ahead. But it was more than that. It was thinking of us as well. He realised that this was the only way for us to be restored in relationships. So there's a wonderful example of service. It's a service that leads to greatness. It certainly did for Jesus, didn't it? We've always remembered. We've always honoured Jesus for what he did on that occasion. I want to look at another story too from Jesus' life. Another one where we can learn an important principle. The principle that we learn from this other story is that true service starts with understanding who we are. Now, this incident in Jesus' life is another one that's, that's well known to all of us. It was the occasion when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Now, it happened to be coming up to the Passover, one of the big celebrations of the Jewish year, in terms of importance, equivalent to our Easter or Christmas. So this was a big event. And as well as that, it was the night before Jesus was arrested, before he was later condemned and then executed the next day. But anyway, the Passover's coming up. And so they borrowed a room in which they could celebrate the Passover. Now, the custom was, if you, as the host, invited people to your house, then your servant would wash the feet of your guests. We have to remember that in those days, there were no cars. They couldn't drive to their friend's place for this meal. They had to walk there. And what's more, they didn't have paved footpaths. So it meant that by the time they got there, even if they'd had a bath before they came, when they arrived, their feet are dirty. And so this lovely custom developed whereby the servant then would wash the feet of the, of the guests. However, in this case, there's a problem. There was no host. There were no servants. And can you imagine the disciples looking at each other and saying, I'm not going to wash his dirty feet, his smelly feet. Yuck, no, no way. And so Jesus, as we well know, Jesus took up the job of the servant and washed his disciples' feet. Now, in the course of reporting that incident, John writes... These words, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he, no, let's stop there. Let's look at that before we go on and see what Jesus did. It says Jesus knew that the Father had put all things in his power, under his power. All things. That reminds me how just weeks, six weeks later, in fact, after Jesus had resurrected, he spent 40 days teaching his disciples. The end came when he was about to return to heaven. So right at that last time, Jesus gave them their commission. All authority, and it starts this way, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he goes on and, and gives them their mission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. The Father put all things under his power. This is an amazing statement. This means Jesus has more authority 
in the Australian government, more authority than the United Nations, more power than the armies of the US and Russia and China and all the other armies of the world put together, he has more power. He has authority and power. That's what Jesus realised. He knew that at that time when he was with his disciples. He knew that. And then there's the next part of it. He says, and that he knew that he had come from God and was returning to God. See, what Jesus made clear during his lifetime is that, unlike us, for me, for example, my existence started on back in September 1940. And, well, you might say, well, might have been nine months before that. Somewhere in that period, that's when I started. But not so with Jesus. He spoke about how he had come down from heaven. His life didn't start when Mary gave birth to him in the manger there. He had been, from the beginning of time, with the Father in heaven. And so he's saying he knew that he'd come from God and he knew that he was soon to return to God. But he had so much to go through beforehand, but he would be soon returning to God. So, he says, so, so, so what? What did he do? Perform some absolutely remarkable miracle? Issued some orders for his disciples to do things for him? Call for the head of someone who offended him? It was none of those things. What it says is, so he got up, filled the basin with water, grabbed a towel and began to wash his disciples' feet. That's remarkable, isn't it? Do you get the, the point there? Jesus knew who, who he was. So he had nothing to prove. It was no problem to him to actually go and serve because he knew who he was. No problem to bend down and carry out the job of a mere servant. And he was prepared to do it. So let me ask you, do you know who you are? Well, I can tell you, I know who I am. I'm a child of God who's deeply loved by God. In fact, I'd like to tell you that I'm his tie for favourite out of seven or eight billion people. See, that includes you too. You too. He loves you dearly. He loves all of us so dearly. Even the people that we can't understand, why on earth would God love him or her? He does. He loves us all very dearly. So I've come to realise that I'm a deeply loved child of God. Let me tell you about my grandson. Some of you know him. He has a condition called ADHD. And the, the neuroscientists have actually found there is a real basis for this. It's not something that's just caused through things at home or whatever it might be. There's a real basis. A part of the brain just hasn't developed as it's supposed to, hasn't developed properly. And it leads to behaviour that the rest of us find unacceptable. Especially at school, he has been into a, a lot of trouble. He's known by all the teachers. He must be really good friends with the deputy principal because he spends a lot of time with him. <laughs> and I can tell you that there are times when he drives me crazy, when I feel exhausted after spending some time with him. But I can tell you something else too, and that is that I love him dearly. And I have learned something very important from him because I have sensed God say to me, you are like your grandson. You mess up regularly. You often get it wrong, but I still love you and I love you dearly. So I ask again, do you know who you are? 
Because service to God starts with knowing who we are. If you aren't too sure you're a child of God, God has promised, God has promised that he never goes back on his promises. God has promised that all who come to Jesus, all who believe in his name, are given the right to become children of God. And you can use that title. You can say, I'm a child of God if you are a follower of Jesus. It's wonderful, isn't it? You belong to him. One of Joanne's favourite verses, the lovely verse from 1 John 3.1, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. I say, what's wrong with God? That he's made us his children, that he loves us all dearly, but I'm so grateful that he does. So it means that we can serve in the lowliest of ways. We've got nothing to prove. We're kids of the Most High God. Now, we've got plenty of opportunity in this church to to serve. I've actually got here a list of the jobs of the church. Let me read some of them out. There's the people who make the tech stuff work, the computer, the sound desk, the lighting. There are those who read the scriptures in the service. There's those who make beautiful music, the singers, the those who play the guitars, the drums, the wind and strings, and they play the keyboard. There are those who actually lead us in the worship. There are those who pray during the service and pray after the service. There's those who set up for the services, vacuum and set up chairs, who set up communion for us when we communion's held. There are those who make us welcome when we arrive and take up the offering. There are those who supply the sugary delights after services, the bakers, the servers, the, the kitchen workers, those who put on supper in the evening service too. And there's that most exciting, fun job of all, cleaning. Those who clean the toilets, those who clean the kitchen and hallways, the meeting rooms and cry rooms, the foyer, the glass and the foyer and the auditorium, the seminar room, the counselling room. Those who keep the church buildings and grounds looking good, the garden, gardening and mowing and maintenance. Those who pray for you for healing. Those who are involved in school ministry, who serve the homeless in Parramatta. Those who lead groups that pray every Tuesday. Those who run the HOV charity. Those who run and are prayer warriors for the youth, kids and youth ministry. Those who love pointing kids to Jesus in the kids' church, the live wires, the precious pebbles. And the list goes on. It makes me tired just to read it all out. There's so much there. Plenty of opportunities for us to... And there's stuff outside the church too. Things like putting love into action in cooking a meal, taking people to medical appointments, doing heavy lifting for those who can't, mowing, handyman repairs, loads of washing... Um, supplying a trailer for bulky items, doing shopping for people, hanging out clothes, going, uh, taking people to and from church, social visiting, hanging out clothes, and so on. And there's plenty more on the list too. Hey, there's plenty to do, isn't there? But let me add to that that we mustn't imagine that service is just about volunteering at church. It's much more than that. It's also about serving in the home, serving at work, serving in the community, serving wherever we may be. So when you invite that arrogant, opinionated workmate to have lunch with you, you're serving. You're serving him, you're serving the Lord. When you get up in the middle of the night to care for the sick child, you're serving. Serving the Lord and serving the child. 
Serving is a mindset that spans the whole of life and not just one part of life. I'd like to finish by bringing two encouragements from Scripture that help us in our serving. The first one is a reminder that when we serve others, we're in fact serving the Lord. Look at the verse, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not people. Serving as if, well, because you are, in fact, serving the Lord, not just people. Now, that verse was actually directed towards slaves as they related to their owners. But it's appropriate for all areas of life, appropriate for us in talking about our service too. So I say to you, when you're cleaning the toilets, mowing the grass, getting up at some unearthly hour so you can be here, I think it's at 7.15, to practice for the worship leading on a Sunday, knowing that you're going to have to be here until about 12 o'clock. What a commitment that team makes. Isn't that wonderful? But they're doing it for the Lord, not merely for us, but for the Lord. There's another encouragement too, and that is in serving others, we're passing on God's grace. Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Let me tell you about a friend of mine. He's now 81. I can't believe it how old my friends are getting. I'm glad I'm not. <laughs> but when he turned 80, I went up to Brisbane to help him celebrate for his 80th birthday and stayed with him one night, stayed overnight with him. And in the morning, came out and we... The three of us, he, my friend Dennis, his wife Margaret and I had breakfast and they cleaned up and everything was, was um, back to normal. And then a man turned up, a neighbour. And I learned afterwards that this guy drops in a couple of times a week, every week. And when he comes, Margaret gets all the breakfast stuff out again and makes a further breakfast for this guy, or Dennis does. The two of them prepare this breakfast for this guy. Now, it's not as if he's poor. He's actually a businessman. If he wasn't capable of getting his own breakfast, well, he's got enough money to go into the shop and buy some. And I asked myself, why does this guy keep coming? What is, what is it that keeps him coming back? Because my friend Dennis has a marvellous pastoral gift and he's so warm and caring in the way that he relates to people. And, you know, I think he comes because... Margaret and, and uh, Dennis are to them mum and dad. I learned much later that he, doesn't, he didn't have a good family life to begin with. And so they're serving. Isn't that a wonderful thing? But notice what they're doing. They're passing on God's grace. He's experiencing the grace of God. Maybe he's never experienced it before. Maybe cranky colleague had never experienced the grace of God before. She couldn't believe anyone would go out of their way to pick somebody else up. Maybe never experienced God's grace, but we have the opportunity of passing on God's grace to them, and that is so wonderful. So let me just say, let's be grace-givers. Let's serve others in love, here at PBC, at home, at work, at play, wherever we may be. Let's serve people in God's name.